couple things I want to say before we jump into the sermon. This is fine, though. Uh, if you're new or visiting, I'm so glad that you're here. And the best way for us to love you is for you to fill out a contact card so that I can get in touch with you and tell you more about myself as a preacher or teacher of God's Word, tell you more about Allegan Bible Church, and invite you to some different stuff that we have going on here so that you can get plugged in. Because my guess is, if you're new or visiting, uh, that you're, you're either out of town uh, with family or you're looking for a new church home. And so either way, I want to tell you what ABC is about so that you know if you're out of town visiting that hopefully your loved one has found a good church to be a part of. Or if you're looking for a church home, uh, I want to let you know what we're about so that you can decide if we're a good fit uh, for you. And so if you could fill out a contact card before you go, man, that would bless me. And I I pray that ultimately that it would be a blessing to you. So if you're new or visiting, please do that. Uh, The next thing uh, is this. I am moved by songs like that. That our prayer life, uh, I'll speak for myself, but I'm, I'm going to assume it might be the case for you too. I think our prayer life needs to really increase. We need to be in prayer more. We need to pray for things like, you know, Lord, uh, bring a revival. Bring a revival that starts right here in this heart of this man. And let that revival then spark what brings revival and a spirit's passion in those around me. And so I think that y'all should pray the same way. Not just that a revival starts in the heart of your pastor, uh, but what I mean by that is the revival starts in your hearts and shows and burns brightly enough that you then would then spark that in others. Okay? And so that would be, uh, I think, a way that we should be in prayer uh, more often, more fervently. So if you have a copy of God's Word, please go ahead and open to Matthew, the book of Matthew. We're going to be in chapter 22. Now, we're going to jump past chapter 21 towards the end of that. Not, not because I don't think it's uh, worth talking about. I absolutely do, but I have to put myself on time constraints. And so because of that, I want to move forward into 22. And as we highlight that, as you turn there and as you look at the slide in front of you, whether you're new or visiting or, or uh, watching online or whatever, um, what's the biggest wedding that you've ever been a part of or the biggest wedding that you've heard of in history? Now, normally, this is where my wife's face would start to turn red because she thinks I'm going to talk about us, but I'm not today, (laughs) except for that. What's the biggest wedding in history that you've ever heard about or been a part of? Most of us have been to weddings. Probably some of us have been in weddings. Uh, Whether we are married or not, at some point, we've either witnessed a wedding or we've been a part of a wedding. I want to tell you about this one on July 29th, 1981. Does anybody know which one I'm talking about? Okay, there you go, there you go. I was wondering if there was some Dianites in here. July 29th, 1981, St. Paul's Cathedral. 3,500 guests, 750 million watching on TV, and that's why it holds the record books, right? Because, uh, first of all, TV wasn't around for a long time, and so even if people did get married, uh, they couldn't watch it, okay? Not at least around the world like they could here. So July 29th, 1981, St. Paul's Cathedral, 3,500 active guests, not to mention all those who were just outside who weren't actively guests, 750 million watching on live TV. Prince Charles and Diana were wed. She had a 25-foot train on her dress. She had 459-foot of a tool veil. I don't know what tool is, but there was 10,000 pearls on her dress, real pearls, not fake. You better believe it. It was a princess, right? A 18-karat gold horseshoe with diamonds and studded into it, sewn into her dress for good luck. 
There was 27 cakes for this wedding. The main cake was five foot tall and weighed over 200 pounds. I bet it was good. And the cost of all this was $137 million in today's money, if you adjusted for inflation and all that kind of stuff. That's a big wedding. I can't imagine getting a ticket to that kind of wedding. Well, in Matthew 22, we're going to read about the parable of this wedding feast, and Jesus is going to talk about a wedding as well. But before we jump in there, will you please pray with me? God, our Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you that it is by your grace and by your will that we are here, that we are even breathing air in our lungs. And so with that same air that fuels our body to keep us alive, God, we bring back praise to you. We bring prayer to you. God, we would ask that although air is life-giving, you have told us about something even greater that is even more life-giving, and that is your word. And so as we come in contact with the living word God, we ask that you would prepare our hearts and our minds to hear what you would have to say to us today, not just this mere mortal man, but rather your scriptures and your word. So please prepare us. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts that are soft enough to be changed and impacted by what your word says. And so we ask that because we know that you are worthy. And so it's in your name we pray. Amen. So, If you're a note taker, I've got, I think there's notes out, so you can grab those if you want, if you already haven't, or you can find a copy afterwards. But I want you, if you're in Matthew, to look back to Matthew 21 and start out by seeing that the authority of Jesus is challenged. This is in Matthew 21, verses 23 through 27. So as you look at that, Jesus' authority is challenged, and they're basically asking him, you know, who has given you the authority to do these things that you're doing and say the things that you're saying? And Jesus asked this question, um, you know, you tell me this and then, I'll, and then I'll answer your question. And he asks them this question that they can't answer about John the Baptist or they refuse to answer because of how they feel. And he says, okay, so if you're not going to answer me that, then I'm not going to answer you either. And then he goes on and he starts telling parables. He tells three parables back to back. The first parable that he tells there is in 21, 28 through 32. And this is the parable of these two sons. Now, I have three sons. And so I would tell this parable a little bit differently, maybe. But Jesus tells it, and so it's a perfect parable. And he tells it this way. He says, there's two sons. He asks both of them to go and work in his vineyard, right? Both of them to go to work. The first says no in the text, then later changed his mind and went. And the second said yes, and then does not end up going. And he asks them, he says, which one does the will of their father? And they said, well, obviously, the one that actually does it. He tells this next parable. This is a parable of tenants and and another vineyard, another master of a vineyard. And this time he's not talking to his sons per se. Instead, in Matthew 21, 33 through 36, it says that he had this vineyard. He he builds it up. He furnishes it. He gives, uh, gives it everything that it needs to be a prosperous business. And then he lets it out. He rents it out to other people to run it for him, expecting that in the harvest time to receive some fruits back. And then it says he goes away. Now the time came to bring fruits back, and he sent servants, it says. These servants, these people who he lent it out to, it says that they beat them, they killed one, and they stoned another. Now I don't know if, 
if the guy died from the stoning or he just got lumpy. I'm not sure. The text doesn't say there. But they treated the, the servants super poorly. And then it says, again, he sent even more servants. And it says in the text that they did the same thing to them. And then he said, eventually, I, I'm going to send my son. Surely they're going to respect my son. They sent the son. And this is what they said. They said, this is the heir. This is the one who's going to receive the vineyard later, right? This is the heir. Let us kill him and have his inheritance. Now, scholars and commentators will uh, have reasons that they think that this is the way that it is, so I'll tell you what they said, and you have to decide for yourself, since we don't find it directly in Scripture. It's kind of hearsay. But they think that the reason they might have thought this is because they thought, well, if the owner of the vineyard would have heard what we have done to his servants, he would come himself and deal with it. And so he must be dead, and so therefore if we kill the son, then we'll get the inheritance. Logically, it makes sense. Scripture doesn't say that, so I don't know. I digress. So let's take it from him. We're going to kill him and we're going to take his inheritance. And then Jesus asks those who he's telling the parable to, he says, so what do you think is going to happen? In essence, what would you do? And they say, we'd put those wretches to a wretched end or something like that. Psalm 118, 22 through 23 then is quoted as Jesus says, you know, this is how you talk, but you don't really understand it because Psalm 18, 22 through 23 is being lived out by the scribes and the Pharisees right then. He says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. And then he tells this third parable, and this is where I really want to camp with you this morning. This third parable is one of a wedding feast. So if you're in Matthew 22, I hope that you are. If you have a copy of God's word, turn also to Luke 14. There is a parallel type of scripture in Luke 14. So you can put your finger there or put a, a, a note card in there or just dog ear your Bible. It's fine. God will not be offended if you write or dog ear your Bibles, okay? And so you can do that to get to Luke 14, 16 through 24, as well as Matthew 22. So again, one last time, because I'm going to keep going, Luke 14, starting in verse 16. But as I go back to Matthew 22, okay, verse 1 and 2 says this, And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. See, in Matthew 13, we're told previous to this, if you remember, if you've been with through Matthew, Jesus tells parables purposefully to conceal the truths of the kingdom to those who are not going to actually inherit the kingdom. And then he reveals them as the day draws nearer and nearer. And so today, beloved, is a day where if you don't understand this parable, it is my job, my goal, my pleasure to try to be able to explain it to you in a way because I believe the wedding feast is drawing near. And so he tells this parable of a king who's giving a wedding feast for his son. In Revelations 19.7, we see that the bride has made herself ready also. And in Revelation, that section of there is what's talking about when this wedding feast is actually going to be consummated. And so I want to posit to you for just a minute. You have been to a wedding in your life. So this shouldn't be a far stretch to you. But we don't live under a king. But imagine if we did. Imagine that king's son was about to get married. Imagine back then. Think back to how this must have been. All of us then uh, don't have uh, pensions and 401ks or whatever. We're all trade workers. 
And some of us are some of us are cloth makers, some of us are cloth dyers, some of us are cooks and bakers, some of us are cattle drivers and herders, some of us are carpenters, some of us are carvers, some of us are, you know, you fill in the blank. Imagine what's happening in that kingdom. Imagine that the money that's flowing out from this king as he's preparing everything. If you've ever been to a wedding or if you've ever been married, or by the way, if you've ever been a bride, you just wake up and go get married, right? Well, maybe not. Kind of depends on where you're going. If it's Vegas, I guess, you know. But most people, most women do not see that as their wedding day. And so there's preparation. And so this kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, is going to be compared to, it is like, it's an allegory for what he's telling us in this. So this king who gave a wedding feast for his son, how is that king feeling on this day? Oh, I bet you he's happy. I bet you he is beaming with joy. How does the son feel on this day? I said I wasn't going to embarrass you. I'll try not to. I remember my wedding day. And while I was preparing this, I was looking through some of our photos. And there's one of these, it's, it's, it's one of those ugly cries. You guys know what an ugly cry is? They, they snapped a photo of me during the middle of an ugly cry. But it was a beautiful cry because it was a cry for my bride. And so I'm imagining this wedding day of the son who's, who's ready. And actually in the text here, you're going to see the son isn't actually mentioned, which I think is interesting. But the king is mentioned. It's the king who is preparing a wedding feast. And who's it for? For his son. His son whom he loves. So hopefully you're there with me. Hopefully you're imagining this in the way that they might hear this. So what happens on this wedding day? Matthew 22, verse 3. So he sends his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast but they would not come. Didn't they have a save the date magnet? I don't know what they did with that. Did they forget? I'm not sure. But as you look at the text, he says he sent his servants out to call those who were invited, but they would not come. It's not that they couldn't come. It's that they wouldn't. Now, if you had your finger in Luke 14, you can tune to Luke 14, 17. And it says this, at that, and at the time for the banquet, he sent his servants to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. And here's another point that we have in this text as we look at this. You don't just call somebody to a feast or a banquet or a wedding when it's not ready, so everything has to be prepared. You know, I think there's a lot of scoffers out there in the world that says, hey, Jesus said he was coming back. What's taking so long? Now, I like to try to have you guys imagine things, but this is where even my imagination fails. I cannot imagine what preparation would be happening in heaven to prepare for the wedding feast as that king prepares one for his son. Think of those angels working diligently on preparing the garments Carving the sculptures, baking the cakes. And of course, that's ridiculous. God said, let there be light, and there was light. He needs not have carvers and bakers and all those things. I understand that. But at the time 
the banquet. He set people out and he said, everything is ready now. Come. And they don't. So that made me ask the question. Maybe you're asking the question, why? And as we look at the text, we're going to see their reasons for why. And I'm going to ask us this morning, are any of those reasons ringing, ringing a little too close to home? first point that I want to give you guys, if you're a note taker, is that God is patient. God is patiently waiting for those who would come. And so on your notes, it's God patiently blank and blank invites you to blank in the glory of his son. But God is patient. He's patient with those who refuse. Can I get an amen? Anybody come late to the whole Christian party as a whole? Any of you live a whole entire life before you met Christ and then after Christ are a new creation? Because I know that that was me. And, and yeah, I got saved in my early 20s and you're thinking, son, you have no idea. Well, I'm here to tell you, you can live a lot of life. You can accrue a lot of sin in a short amount of time. And so God is patient with those who refuse. And so I want to start by simply saying this. If you're here today, And this is not the first time you've heard a gospel message. Please don't be like these. Don't be like these who simply refuse. With an open hand today. What does Scripture say? Today is the day that the Lord has made? What does the Scripture say? That today is the day of your salvation? Don't wait until tomorrow. I was reminded by a sister in Christ. And I want to say it's Wesley. I'm not exactly sure. You'll have to Google this when you get home. But he was preaching this sermon. And he was going to have an altar. Not this sermon. He was preaching a sermon. And he was going to have an altar call. And he decided to wait and do it the next day. But the Chicago fires had already started. And so some of those people perished. Because they were waiting for an invitation that was already there. But Jesus is also, and the king is also, patient with those who accept, as we're going to see in the text. (laughs) Can I get an amen from that? Yeah. Jesus is patient with us, even though we're on our way to the banquet, even though we want to take that invitation, even though we're trying our best to wash our clothes and get buttoned up and ready for the banquet feast on our own, even then when we, when we stall out and stumble and fail, as is our nature. Jesus and his king, our God, they are patient with those who accept. And so as we continue on at Matthew 22.4, it says, again, he sent other servants. So the first ones he sent out, they said, no, bro, I've got other things to do. So he sent out more servants. And this is where these parables start to match up. He says, tell those who are invited, see, look, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen, my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. Again, we've been to weddings. I've never been to a king's wedding. I've never seen a cake that's five foot tall and 200 pounds. I cannot imagine the rest of the catering bill to feed a princely or princessly procession of people. But it was probably pricey. There you go. You're welcome. So he sends out more servants. He says, look, there is a huge feast. Any of you guys ever see uh, Hook with uh, Robin Williams? And that mangerang 
feast, you know, where those boys just imagine and there's just a table, suckling pigs and all that stuff. He says, this is a huge feast. It is ready. And again, he is patient. The vineyard owner was patient. The father with his two sons was patient. He's patient because of his love and his desire to honor this son. Do you understand that? Who's this wedding feast for? Let's not forget that. Who's this wedding feast for? It's for the son on his wedding day. And so the king is patient because he wants to honor his son and because he loves his son. He's patient with those who are invited. And also because he wants to honor those who are invited. Imagine getting a, a, a hand-delivered invite to Princess Diana's wedding and refusing that. I'm sure this isn't how they did it, but in my mind, they deliver it with a horse and carriage, you know, with those fancy guys, and they have to click before they hand you the thing. In my mind, that's how that happens. I'm sure it probably just comes through the post or whatever they call it over there in Britain. But it says here, but they paid no attention and went off. That word there literally means they ignored it. And beloved, sometimes that's how we are. Sometimes in a room like this, you will have an invitation to come to the wedding feast. And you'll say, maybe tomorrow. Or perhaps, if you count yourself as one of the few who has received that invitation, perhaps there is a message from the king that comes to you and you alone by his heralder called the Holy Spirit, and you receive it in your heart, and instead you say, no. And so they pay no attention, and they go off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. And again, you can turn now to Luke 14, if you want, 18 through 20, as we see the parallel with this. It says, but they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out to see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I have to go examine them. Please have me excused. And then another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. And so for three reasons, these people turned down the king. And it's the same today. They turned down the king for prestige. He's got a large place of land. And back then, land made you somebody, not just TikTok and YouTube followers. But if you had land, you were somebody. Why do you think part of the promise to Abraham was land? And so this guy had land, so he said, I would rather have prestige than be in the presence of the king. Uh, The next one we see here is possessions. He said, I just bought a bunch of oxen. I need to go look at them. I would come to church, but I've got to work extra hours to pay for my sports car. And then on the time that I'm not at work, I'm going to be waxing my sports car. Now, work is good, and work was invented back in the garden by God, but Possessions is what kept this man. Possessions is what kept him from the presence of the king. And then lastly, not to be crude or crass at all, pleasure. This man just got married and he said, I 
would rather be with her, which all the women say, well, amen. But we have to understand, remember, this is a parable. Jesus is telling a parable to say the kingdom of heaven is like, and so if we have to see that it's like something, then as great as marriage is, the fact is is that this man was choosing pleasure over the presence of the king. And Hebrews 2, 3 says, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was uh, attested to us by those who heard. Which brings me to my, my second point, which is this. The, the king is also is passionate. Do you understand that he is passionate for our... This is where it gets wonky, so follow me. He is passionate also for our prestige, our possessions, and our pleasure. But he wants it to be in the right way, at the right time, in the right season, for the right purpose. And so as I go back up to my notes here, God patiently and passionately and blank invites you to blank in the glory of the Son. So he patiently and passionately, he has passion for his Son. Remember, it's his wedding feast. And so this king put on this entire feast to honor one person, his Son, Maybe you've never heard this from the pulpit before. Heaven is not about you. And I think we so often miss that. You get to go to heaven, but heaven is about the Son. Heaven is about worshiping and glorifying and giving honor and praise and working for the Son. Heaven is the king's gift to the son. But he also has passion for the ceremony. He has passion for how this happens and how people get there. And he has passion for his guests, those who he would invite and reinvite and then reinvite again. And so as we continue on Matthew 22:7, the king was angry. That's another form of passion, isn't it? And this is the form of passion that we incur if we continue to neglect the invitation. I would rather have the affectionate passion than I would the angry passion. But the king was angry and sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Luke 19, 11-27 is this parable of the ten talents. If you've been to church for a while, you know it. Somebody was given this many talents and somebody's given this many and this many and then they went away and then the master came back and he said, all right, how many talents? And he was like, I've had this many because you gave me this many. How many for you? I have this many because you gave me this many. And then he comes to the last guy. Here's the text that preachers often stop. They stop at verse 26 and they don't preach verse 27. Luke 19, 26 and 27. I tell you that to everyone who has more will be given But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And you're like, yeah, that sounds familiar. Here's 27. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. And somehow people will say, yeah, the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. No, he is not. He is absolutely not. For a time period, 
God became flesh and dwelt among us so that we might avoid the God's wrath of the Old Testament. He gave it to Jesus on your behalf. And then it says in Scripture, he is storing up wrath then for the day of destruction. Meaning, Jesus either absorbs and absolves, he absorbs it on your behalf and absolves you of it, or it is being stored up for the day of wrath. Matthew 21, 41. Remember this in these other parables? He asks them, so what is he supposed to do? And he says, he's going to put these wretches to a miserable death, and he's going to let the tenants, let the vineyard out to other people. Verse 8, then, as we continue to move forward. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Now, I'm about to give you a John and not a Bible, okay? In my imagination, at the point that the king is saying this, he is weeping. He is weeping because he is looking for those who might be worthy and instead finding none. He wants his king to be honored. He wants folks to come to this feast. He wants to show the love and the honor, the affection. He wants to glorify his son with this amazing wedding feast. He's slaughtered his calves. He's prepared the tables. The musicians are there. The banquet is set. The candles are beginning to grow low and dim. And he says, there's none worthy. And Paul says that too in Romans 3, 9 through 18. He says, we've all turned aside. We've all went our own way. We all have fields and oxen and other things of pleasure to keep us from this wedding feast. And so then the answer is, what is the king to do? What is to happen with the wedding feast? What's going to happen with all the food? What are the musicians supposed to do? What is going to happen to the son? The son who on his wedding day has prepared himself and the bride has prepared herself and now there's no wedding feast, there's no celebration. What kind of a horrific day would that be? Imagine, if you will, that ceremony, all the work put into it, all the time, all the decorations, all the tooling, whatever that is. And nobody's there. They open up the doors to the chapel and it's empty. As they're in their carriage marching down the streets, nothing but a wind whistling through the British Empire and a newspaper fluttering in the breeze. Matthew 22, 9. This is what God decides. He says, Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you 
find. So these are people who originally did not get the invitation. They did not have a save the date. And instead, out of nowhere comes this invitation, Matthew 22.10. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. Turn to Luke 14 with me again, I think for the last time. Now, as you turn there, I'm going to remind you that this reminds me of the fishing net that was thrown out and gathered fish of all kinds, good and bad. Then they were sorted. Or John 3.16 that says, For God so loved the world, universal, that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him, individual, should not perish but have eternal life. So Luke 14.21b through 23, uh, as you have turned there, Go out quickly to the streets, the lanes, and the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servants, Go out to the highways, the hedges, and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. Brother or sister, are you lame or poor or crippled? Because if you are, you are in great company to enter in. Do not dare say to the king, I am unworthy, because what he will say to you is, you're absolutely right, and none were found to be such. And so instead, they're going to compel you to come in. You see, the invitation that the king was given to his son here through Jesus' parable is the invitation that I extend by divine messenger from the king to you today. I have the invitation to give to you that you might, if you haven't thus far, entered into the kingdom feast and not only as a member, but but Jesus says as the bride. You don't just have to or get to. You don't just get an invitation to this feast. When it happens, you and Jesus are the main attraction. Jesus receives the glory, and the church as his bride receives her king. Which brings me to the next point. That God perfectly invites people. God patiently, passionately, and perfectly invites you. And we're going to skip ahead. To participate in this wedding feast. He invites you to participate in the glory of his son. And the reason I'm jumping ahead is because Nick in the back is going to bring us back here in just a minute to a section that I want to make sure that we end on. His invitation to you is perfect. His uh, invitation to you is passionate. His invitation to you is patient. He will fill his kingdom. And he will draw those. He says compel. 
I don't know about you, but when I found Jesus, I wasn't looking for him. I was not searching for Jesus. I was out living my own life, and then somehow a messenger showed up on my door holding the invitation, which is the word of God through the Holy Spirit, and he offered me the invitation. And he offers it to you. But as Nick finds and puts up there, though, in verse uh, 13, I'm sorry, uh, we'll start with We'll start with 11. But when the king came in, he looked at the guest and he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. He was speechless because that's what you're supposed to wear at a wedding. And so in 13, he says, bind him up, cast him out in the place where there's going to be gnashing of teeth. And then he ends with, for many are called, but few are chosen. I want you to go back now and, and find Nick for us, verse um, 11. When the king came, he looked at the guest and he saw a man who had no wedding garment. Maybe the man had no garment because he wasn't expecting an invitation. Maybe you feel like this is you this morning. Maybe you have, with your whole heart, at some point in your life, you've accepted the invitation to come to the king's wedding feast, and yet somehow there is fear in your heart that on that day you will be found without a wedding garment, and so you will be cast out. I want to I encourage you this morning. If that's you, you're in good company. Sometimes I feel the same way. But I have to remind myself of God's truth. I have to remind myself of the king who has invited us. I have to remind myself that he's already said there's none worthy. And so if I've invited you in the first place, you're not in a different camp than what you were then. You're still unworthy. And then also it's very common during this time, if we're going to take the parable, it's very common for the king during those times to then also supply the garments for those who would come to the feast. And that is no different from our king. In Revelations, he talks about when the fifth seal was opened, I saw under the altar of souls those who had been slain for the word of God and had witnessed what had been done. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood and those who dwell on the earth? And they were each given a white robe and told to rest for a little longer. Or in Revelation seven thirteen, And then one of the elders addressed me and said, Who are these clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? And he said, they are the ones that have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So, beloved, I just want to encourage you this morning that our God, patiently, patient, I don't, I'm saying that wrong. Our God patiently, passionately, and perfectly invites you to participate in the glory of the Son. And he's waiting for you now. And he's passionate for you now. And he's perfectly able to cover you now. And he also wants you to participate now. And so with that, I would close by saying this. July 29th, 1981, St. Paul's Cathedral, 3,500 guests, 750 million watching on live TV. 25-foot train, 459-foot uh, tool, 10,000 pearls, 18,000 or 18-karat gold horseshoe, 27 cakes, 5-foot, 200-pound cake, 137 million dollars for that wedding diana was later reported saying that that day 
was the worst day of her life. For you, it can be the best first day of all of eternity. Let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, we thank you that by your grace, by your mercy, you have invited us to participate in the glorification of your Son as a blessed bride. God, so I I pray that you would help us, that you, by your power, would make us ready, that you would give us new garments, that you would dress us white as snow, that by your grace none of us would tarry and choose other things, that if we feel your invitation right now, that we would accept it. In fact, God, for all these who are here, who might have wondered if their garments were clean enough, if they had wedding garments, for all those who are here who might wonder if they have received an invitation, God, I just want to pray with them. So for those of you who are here, who are listening online, would you please pray with me? God, my Father in heaven, I recognize that I am a sinner. I believe and I understand the wickedness of my heart that by your perfect standards, I deserve eternal separation and punishment from you in hell. But God, I bring myself before you with nothing to offer aside from open hands to receive Jesus. God, I believe that your son Jesus is fully God and fully man. I believe that because of this, that he was able to take the full penalty of my sin upon himself on the cross and that three days later, being victorious and being seen by you as a substitution for me, that he sacrificed himself for me so that I might be invited and clothed and participate in your wedding feast not just for a day, but for all eternity. And so, God, I pray that you might allow me to receive that. I pray that I would cherish that. I pray that I would live my life according to that. It's by your name and in his blood we pray. Amen. Uh, Let's stand.